Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. So we're in a uh, series um, in which we're using some of the images and, and metaphors that the Apostle Paul develops in the book of Ephesians to talk about who you are, to talk about identity and some of the other dynamics of what it means to be the people of God and so on. And the theme that we'll look at today is from the second chapter of the book of Ephesians uh, in which Paul says of this disparate, confused, chaotic community of strangers made family. You are the temple. You are the dwelling place. You are the residence of God on the earth. Here's the text, uh, and then we'll set up a frame for it. Consequently, Paul says, as a result, in other words, of the sacrifice of Jesus, what he has done, drawing men and women to himself, consequently... You are no longer foreigners and strangers. Instead, you are fellow citizens with all of God's people. You are members of his household. You are being built up 
on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. It is in him that the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So the idea of the church, of you being a holy temple of the Lord, is built on a two or 3,000-year tradition of temples. And I want to snapshot that in a couple of minutes this morning. Uh, so pray for me, fasten your seatbelts, because we're going to blitz through 3,500 years of history um, in places where we see um, the, the idea or the concept of temple being met. Um, the fact is we are, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, tells us that we are a unique combination of dust and the breath of God, dirt and deity, Right? So we are built for that thin space between the material realm and the spiritual realm, which is ideally what we are here, Genesis chapter 1, to be the image of God, to be his representatives, to be his ambassadors, to represent God who is spirit to the, to the earth, which is matter. So we serve in that intermediary role. Does that make sense? And as a result of that, we need, because we are matter, we need places of meeting, that which is pure spirit. We need, we need anchors in space and time, place and time, in which we can encounter God. So the very first thing that God does in Genesis chapter 2, after forming us as souls, material and spiritual, is give us a place to meet a place to be. It's called the Garden of Eden. It's a place that is set aside. It's a place that is an intermediary place between the material realm and the spiritual realm. If you study the book of Genesis at all, you'll notice that the book of uh, the, the Garden of Eden is described as being framed by four rivers. And four, two of those rivers are not, have been known in history, the Tigris and the Euphrates, are the two material rivers. There are, however, also two rivers that have never been known in any historical account. And the Jewish theologians who have reflected on this, the Old Testament theologians, are suggesting that while the Tigris and the Euphrates are the rivers that tie us to the material world, the other two rivers are those rivers that tie us to the spiritual world. That in fact, the Garden of Eden was a thin space, a place of meeting between God and humanity, in which God could come comfortably, if I can use that language, for a walk, Genesis tells us, in the cool of the day, using the euphemistic strategies of Old Testament storytelling, in which then he could reasonably expect we, for whom he had created this place of meeting, would come and meet with him. So you can, you can feel the horror then when God comes for a walk in Genesis chapter 3, in the place where he has come to meet us, and he can't find us. Where are you? He asks. And the man says, we say, I was afraid. I was afraid of you. So I hid myself from you. That space that had been set aside, designated as a place to meet God, has now become contaminated by our rebellion. 
And so we lose our primary and gifted place of meeting that we are intended to go to to remind us who God is and thus who we are and to remind us because we know who we are what we're here to do. Does that make sense? So God does not leave us alone. He does not abandon us. He does not start over again. He does not hit the the do-over button. He accommodates himself to us uh, through a a, a period of time where he sooner or later comes up with uh, his own people as a way of renegotiating, redeeming, restoring uh, his rule on the planet. But those people need a place of meeting too. And so in the books of Exodus and Numbers, he constructs or has them construct a tent, a tabernacle, a place of meeting where Moses can come and meet God. And in that place of meeting are are the, the, the Ark of the Covenant in which are the Ten Commandments and so on and so forth. But it's a place at which God and Moses meet and speak face to face. Now the rest of the people don't want to go there. Because they recognize that, that God's holiness is uh, ferocious. They might die. So they're happy to send Moses on. You talk with him and then tell us what he says. And Moses uh, does that. He goes into the places of meeting and encounters God, prays, talks to the people, and then goes back and relays what God has said to, them, to him through that, that place of meeting, that, that, that tent of meeting. When the children of Israel, through 40 years of wilderness wanderings, finally end up in, what the, in the land that God had promised, please notice the theme, place matters. So God has established his name on a place, the city of Jerusalem, as it turns out. And sooner or later in the history of Israel, a temple is built to be a place again of meeting, a place where we can offer our sacrifices to God and a place at which God will meet with our representatives. Still, a barrier exists between us and God. The holiness of God is such that we, can't ju- we have to be protected from just wandering in and out as if it were meaningless. The dedication of that temple built by Solomon, the third king of Israel, David's son, was marked by a supernatural phenomenon called kavod, the glory. The weight of God's presence descended on that temple built by Solomon and, and, and inhabited that place of meeting. It was a place of supernatural encounter. It was a place of glory. It was a place in which God could be worshipped. It was a place in which we would offer our sacrifices. But like so many other places of meeting, the garden, the tent, it over time became commonplace. It over time, because when we showed up, we didn't always show up with appropriate respect and honor. We didn't always show up as a place of meeting. Sometimes we showed up as a way to cover the damage of our souls, right? And sooner or later, the meaning of that place of meeting, that temple began to erode. And by the time we're all done, about 350, 400 years later, that place of meeting had become commonplace. In fact, 
other gods were being worshipped in that temple. Sacrifices were being made to other deities in that temple. And so the prophet Ezekiel uh, has a vision in which he sees the chavod, the glory that had dedicated the temple at its inception. He watches and he sees the glory of God ascend from the temple and leave the city of Jerusalem. Whatever the temple was with the glory present, a place of meeting, a place of encounter, a place at which we could do business with God and he with us, that's all gone as the glory departs. Now all we have is a big building. And around 585 B.C., we don't even have that anymore. As the Assyrians first and then the Babylonians come and destroy the temple. They desecrate it and they destroy it. It's no longer a place of either cultural or spiritual anchoring. It's gone. Now all the people are left with, they don't have the land that God gave them anymore. They don't have the temple that God gave them anymore. All they have is the Torah, the word of God. And they have to become experts in the word of God so that three generations later, their grandchildren can have such a longing for Jerusalem, a longing for home, a longing for the place of God's encounter that those grandchildren who have never seen Jerusalem will want to go, to, go home. You can imagine how diligently parents taught their children who became parents who taught their children the stories of encounter with God so that their grandchildren would want to go back home. When the edict finally comes from Cyrus, the Medo-Persian monarch, that Israel is free to go back, uh, the very first thing they do Uh, Well, among the first things they do is to build a a new temple. And it is a a shadow of the former temple, so much so that people weep with embarrassment, but also gratitude. Now we have a place to meet. Now we have a place to sacrifice. Now we have a place to encounter God again. Fast forward about 350 years, Herod... The great, the one who tried to kill Jesus, that one, decides as a political move that he will give to the people of Jerusalem a temple that will not just rival but will exceed Solomon's temple. And so he builds a temple that uh, is, is stunning in its beauty with whitewashed uh, stones, with gold leaf so that it gleams in the rising and the setting sun, the highest point on the, on the mountain that Jerusalem is built around. And the people, of course, longing for a place of meeting, come to that temple as a place in which this is the temple that Jesus was dedicated at. This is the temple that Jesus did all of his teaching in. But you'll notice something missing in this temple that was not missing in Solomon's temple, and that was the glory of the Lord. 
So you could come and do your sacrifices. You could come and be taught. You could come and, and, and hear Torah taught, but you could not come and meet with God because his presence was not there. The Pharisees believed that his presence was not there because Israel was a rebellious people. And so the Pharisees had as their primary task the teaching and raising up of people who would follow the way of the Lord to such a level of perfection that the glory would once again come, this time perhaps with Messiah. So the belief was that the Messiah will come and will reintroduce the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, back into this temple, which is our place of meeting. Do you see what the longing is? So you can imagine the excitement on a particular spring day, five or six days before Passover, Jewish Independence Day, the latest buzz of Messiah from the north comes into Jerusalem on a Sunday that reminds them of the grand triumphant procession of their greatest leaders with palm branches. And you can imagine their excitement as this new Messiah makes a turn and heads toward the temple. You can imagine perhaps the longing for, as John the Baptist said, I baptize you in water, but there is one coming who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. They understood this to mean that Messiah would come and reintroduce the Spirit to the temple. And once again, Judaism could thrive as a place of meeting God. You can imagine then their disappointment when instead of bringing the Spirit to the temple, Jesus threw out the trash. This place that was intended to be not just a place of meeting for you, but for the Gentiles, this court of the Gentiles that was supposed to be a place where they could come and pray, a place where they could come and encounter God. You all have made a den of thieves. You have made it a marketplace. And he cleanses the temple. Both literally and figuratively. Perhaps you remember earlier on in that conversation, Jesus has cursed a fig tree outside of Jerusalem on his way in. Then he goes and cleanses the temple of the marketplace it had become. And on his way into town the next day, his disciples notice that the fig tree, representative of Judaism, representative of the system symbolized by temple, the fig tree is dead. It has died from the roots up. The disciples comment, look at this. This symbol of Judaism, this symbol of encounter with God in the temple is dead. And Jesus says, guys, if you have faith, you can say to this mountain, pointing at the temple mount, be cast into the sea, and it will be done. Jesus was saying, 
the day is coming and is shortly going to happen when those who stand in faith will have no longer need of this temple. No longer need of this place of encounter. It will be cast into the sea. It is no longer necessary. That's the scenario then when Jesus dies on the cross three or four days later. And one of the huge momentous events that occurs when that um, crucifixion happens is the veil, the separation between the holy place, the normal people, and the holy of holies, the place where ostensibly the righteous ones could meet God once a year, that veil is torn from top to bottom, not bottom to top by human agency, but top to, God, to bottom by the, by the work of God saying, in effect, this place that you have guarded and so lost has now become available to anybody who would come in as a result of the sacrifice of my son on the cross. That's the story of temple. It has now become irrelevant as a place of meeting. So the question is now, for the people of God, where do we meet him? How do we encounter him? How do we come to him? How does he come to us? And Paul, a classically trained rabbi, trained in the shadow of that temple, says to Jews and Gentile alike this. You are no longer foreigners. You are no longer strangers. Remember, the church at Ephesus is primarily a Gentile church. It is a church comprised not just of, 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 of people who have been come converted from the synagogue, but people who were pagans, who were worshipers of the goddess um, uh, in, in, in various forms, who were, who were for all intents and purposes, I, I, I just love this image. Because remember, for almost 2,000 years, the Jews were told to stay away from Gentiles, to not be friends with them to treat them with respect, but not to engage in real relationship because they were unclean. And you would compromise your capacity as a holy people if you engaged in life with them. So the cross, tearing the veil, opens the door for Gentiles to come in. So sitting in this congregation on a Sunday morning in Ephesus are Jews and Gentiles. Men and women, first time in the history of the world that men and women could freely engage in worship side by side. Not only that, slaves and their owners gathered together as the people of God, made so by the sacrifice of the Son of God, enabling people who had no identity, no place, no name, no future to have a place, to have a name, to have an identity, to have a future. I want some of that action. I want to be part of that kind of community that says your color doesn't matter. Your gender doesn't matter. Your socioeconomic status no longer concerns me. You are my brother. You are my sister. Now, please notice, this is going to take a lot of hard work, isn't it? Because we all kind of like to hang with our homies. Right? You all know what I'm talking about. We all have our tribes. We all have our gangs, right? We all have people that we, we like to do life with. 
And, and Paul is saying, y'all got to get over yourselves. Y'all got to get over yourselves. He says with a southern accent. <laughs> because if you persist in this isolation of Jew Gentile, if you persist in this isolation of rich poor, if you persist in this separation of Gentile Jew, if you persist in this, remember what happened to the tent of meeting. Remember what happened to Solomon's temple. Remember what happened or will happen to the temple of Herod, the second temple. Remember what happens to those temples. God is not doing this so you have a place to meet. He is doing this so the world has a place to meet. He is doing this so the world can come and encounter him. He is doing this not so that you can feel good about having a place to meet as no longer strangers, fellow citizens. That's wonderful, but don't pat yourselves on the back. That identity is for mission. The temple has always been a place where the world can come and meet God. But now, he says, you are members of his household. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. You, you know, the, the, the model there is, is that cornerstone would mark the trajectory of the building so it would be square. Jesus is the one who decides who's in and who's out, which means that you don't. Aren't you glad? Because I'm guessing that some of you would have been ruled out. I'm not looking at anybody particularly. <laughs> but we all have people that we wouldn't rule in, correct? Right? And Jesus says, no, I'm sorry, I'll take care of that for you. I'm the chief cornerstone. I will determine the patterns, the frames of alignment. Everybody's built on the same foundation, apostles, prophets. I'm the one who decides who's in and who's out. You don't get a vote on who stays on the island. I want all my kids home in time for dinner. And so he says to us, in him then this whole building is joined together and rises up to become a holy temple of the Lord. Why? You are being built to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is incredible to me. Remember what Jesus said, John chapter 14. The disciples are anxious. He's going away. And he says to them, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will send my spirit. He will be with you forever. Kathleen Doyle, a friend of ours from Rock Harbor, says that in Genesis 3, the same passage we referred to earlier, because of our decision in Genesis 3, the whole world became an orphanage. And all of us, orphans in it. And Jesus says to us, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will settle down. I will dwell in you. You will be, he says, a holy temple being built together, a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Now, I want you to just look around. No, seriously, look around. 
Look at who's beside you. Look at who's behind you. Who are these people? Right? Who are these people? Are these people that you would choose to be a dwelling place of God by his spirit? The answer for the most part from us is no. That's why we don't get to decide who's in and who's out. We wouldn't even choose ourselves because I know what's inside me. I know the brokenness that's there. I know that I can't be trusted with this. Sorry, you don't get to disqualify yourself. You cannot bench yourself when the coach is putting you in the game. You don't get to say, not me. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the dwelling place of God. You are, therefore, a place of meeting for the guys you go to work with tomorrow morning. Because here's what happens, the beauty of this. Every temple up until you has been a temple that is located in time and space and requires people to come to it in order to meet God. Now, because you are the temple, you see the genius in this. God is on the move. There is no place where you are that people can't encounter the living God. Listen, there is no place where you are that people cannot encounter the living God. There is no place where you are that people cannot encounter the living God. You are the temple of God on the earth. You are the place of meeting. You are the place of encounter. You are the ones to whom people ought be able to look as one to help them know God. Amen. And of course, this is not just you individually. It's us as a community. It's us as a community. I want when people come into the garden as they do, them to have a sense that the glory of God is in the house. I want them to have the same thing when you sit down with them at Starbucks. Now, most of us have got some growing up to do, myself included, maybe myself especially. Every time I talk about stuff like this, the week leading up to it is hell. Stuff that I haven't battled for years and years and years all of a sudden comes back with ferocity. Right? And I... And sometimes I don't even do that. Sometimes I just drive in the ditch all by myself. How many know that we didn't fall in the garden, we jumped? We chose self-sabotage. And I wish I could tell you that I'm well past the stage in my life where that's an issue for me. Sorry, it isn't. Nobody here but us. Nobody's got this nailed. That's why us being a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, a dwelling place of God, is not about you. Now, however, because you are holy, it's time for us to learn how to be what we are. Why? Because a world that you live in, the people you engage at work tomorrow morning, need a place to meet God. They're not going to come here. They shouldn't have to. We are the church on mission. We are the garden planted in various places. 
So you know where I'm going, don't you? Brothers and sisters, you don't get to choose whether God declares you holy or not. He already has. But you do get to choose, like me, whether through processes of repentance you will be what you are, where you will let him move you to righteousness so that the God that they encounter in you is not one of judgment, but one of invitation. Not one of condemnation, but one of conviction. And the reason I stress that is that when we're dealing with our own stuff, the fastest way we deal with our own stuff is finding somebody who's worse than we are. And we condemn them. Do we not? That's all we know how to do. It's all we know how to do. So I can't be trusted to become an expert in your sin. Holy Spirit convicts. Conviction always has hope. Conviction always has invitation. Conviction always has a cheering section. Conviction always has empowerment to life change. Why? Because you're the dwelling place of God. What else would you expect? Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.
thoughts. We need your spirit, oh God. 